You know what? In our services, every single week when you come, there's this point in the service after we do our singing, Stuart gets up there, and it's usually Stuart, and he says, now all the wonderful kids of South Sub Church can follow Miss Debbie to the back, um, to the back door back there. And if you've come for here for a long time, you know who, who Miss Debbie is, you know what Miss Debbie is, but I begin to think if you're new to South Sub Church, you may be wondering, so who's that lady that we keep sending all those kids to every single week? So let me explain. Let me tell you who, what, and what, why we send it to Miss Debbie. She's our children's pastor, Debbie Donay. She's been, she and her husband and family have been members of our church for a very long time. Um, and she's been the, the children's pastor for a number of, number of years. And if you came to me and said, Keith, find me two words that would describe Debbie. If I don't know who she is, give me two words that would describe Debbie to the congregation. Here are the two words that I would choose. Difference maker. Okay. She's amazing. She absolutely... <laughs> And we might have to clap louder because she's already downstairs with the kids. I heard somebody say one time, oh, you've got a kid's ministry, so someone takes them downstairs and babysits them while we're having church and you're getting the sermon? Absolutely not. When Debbie takes and her, her volunteers takes the kids down there, they are getting as much of God's word as we're getting up here. Sometimes I wonder they may be getting more of God's word down there than we are up here. She is teaching them discipleship. She is teaching them who Jesus is. But the reason I would say Debbie is more uh, is a difference maker more than just what she does on Sunday. Her life loves kids. If you've been around her at all, she has this, this focus on kids. She has this focus on families that she just wants them to know who Jesus is more. In fact, we began our new series two weeks ago, and then the series is entitled Difference Maker. And if you've got your notes, we're, we're learning the definition together. And here's the definition for Difference Maker. Let me read the definition, and you can see how Debbie's name goes to it so clearly. A Difference Maker is a dedicated individual making an impact on the lives of others with intentional actions. Let me say that again in case you're filling in the blanks there. A difference maker is a dedicated individual making an impact on the lives of others with intentional actions. And would you agree with me? That's Debbie Donay all the way right there. She is indeed a difference maker. Now, something else we've been learning as we begin this series called Difference Maker, that every difference maker, whether you're the children's pastor or a difference maker you're doing in your family or your workplace or your neighborhood, there are three characteristics that we've been identifying that are found in every single person who is a difference maker. Now, if you're new today, I have to show off the church. Not only are they generous, this church is very, very smart. So watch this. These three characteristics we've been learning before we ever put them up on the screen, before I say the words, church, what's the first characteristic of being a difference maker? Aware. What's the second characteristic? Adjust. And what's the third characteristic? Act. That's exactly right. So those are the three characteristics. We can look at people, and we have been in Scripture, and they have those three characteristics. We can look at people in our modern-day world. If they're a difference maker, they have those three characteristics. And today I want us to continue our study of different people that are difference makers. The last two weeks we've looked at Jesus. This week I want to look at some men in the New Testament. And I say men because there's actually four of them. So if you have your Bibles or you want to look up on the screen with me here, let me take you to Luke chapter 5. And we're going to examine, look at four men who made a difference in another individual's life. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And it says, one day while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of the religious law, they were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up every village in all of Galilee and all of Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. 
So to kind of get a, give you a visual of the situation, what's going on, Jesus is in town. The town that he's in is actually a town called Capernaum, and he's teaching. And there are these religious leaders, these Pharisees, that would follow him from town to town, community to community, to listen what he had to say and to watch what he was about to do. Now, we need to understand as you take a bigger picture, bigger reading of all of Scripture, these men probably weren't coming because they were really interested in understanding more. They probably weren't coming because they were interested in experiencing the power of the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself. They were coming because they were jealous. They were coming because they were skeptical. They were coming because they were leery because Jesus had stepped into the religious community and kind of taken their spotlight away from them. He had stepped in and as the Son of God, presenting God's word, presenting the love of God in a way that they weren't, and people's attention had begun focusing on Jesus more than these religious leaders. So if they're in this room and they're listening to teach and the Bible says on this particular day heal because his healing power was with them that day, they were probably sitting more like this than like this. They were sitting in that skeptical look. But the Bible lets us know that they weren't the only men in this room at this time. They weren't the only people in the room on this one particular occasion. As you read scripture, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we often call the Gospels. And there's many times that each of the men who were writing those accounts, they were watching and seeing the same thing and they had their own perspective of it. And you can go to the book of Mark and let me read to you how Mark describes the situation with Jesus and these religious leaders. He expands it a little bit more. Mark chapter 2, he says this, and when Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. So as Mark describes the scenario, it is more than a few religious leaders standing around with their arms crossed, just really skeptical at what Jesus was going to say or do. It was a house full of people, all of the town of Capernaum. And Capernaum was probably a town about 1,500 people. It wasn't a large city, and you can imagine a small town of 1,500 people, very community-oriented in everything they did. I'm guessing most people at least knew who each other were. Like, you can't live in a town that small and at least not know somebody's business across the street or around the corner, right? So these people had gathered, and Mark says the room was so crowded nobody else could get in. It was a house. Most houses in those days, much like you might think of open concept living today, would have had a large, great room. There might have been small rooms aside, but there had been this large room. And for this particular day, Jesus was in this house, the religious leaders, and anybody and everybody else that could fit into this house was there. Can you imagine the buzz inside that house? Can you imagine the excitement inside that house? You ever been to a sporting game when it is sold out crowd or maybe to a concert that it was a sold out crowd? Like look in this room, do me a favor, look to your left, look to your right. There's a lot of people in here, but we're not exactly to the brim filled up with people, right? I think back to Christmas Eve when we had this room completely full of people. It's not because what's going on, it's just that people add to the energy. But again, the Bible says that on this particular day, Jesus's healing power was with him. And so Mark says they were so crammed in there that you couldn't even get any more people in the door. They were in the aisles. They were in the seats. They were just completely packed in there like a can of sardines. And so Jesus was there teaching and he was healing. And look what it says in the next verse. Some men, in verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. 
So they went up to the roof and they took off some tiles and there they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. Luke says some men, Mark clarifies a little bit more and says there were four men. But these four men undoubtedly were excited about going to see Jesus. But on their way to see Jesus in this house, they discovered, walked around, saw, they, they became aware of a paralytic man on the street. Now, back in those days, if you had some kind of infirmary like being paralyzed and you couldn't work, it was probably the only way that you would make money is somebody would pick you up on your mat every day, take you out to the corner of a street and set you there. And the way you made your funds to live on is you would simply beg for money every single day. Now, we can't know for sure, but history tells us that probably this one particular man was carried to the same corner every single day. And so these four men, as they were walking to the house to see Jesus, something caught their attention that they ought to take him. I grew up hearing the story a little bit different. I always heard they were four friends, this man's four friends. Anybody ever heard it that way? You can read every single account of the Gospels. None of them say they were friends of this man. I kind of suspect this. That because they lived in a small community, because everybody knew everybody, and it would make sense that this paralyzed, paralytic man would have been put at a very busy corner. They probably had seen him many times. Maybe they could have called him by name at times. Maybe they recognized him, but the Bible doesn't say they were friends. Now, if I put myself into the story, or maybe I bring the story to my common day life, it could be could be. The Bible doesn't say this. We never want to add to scripture, but sometimes thinking what it might have been like helps open it up to reality us. It could have been that he was on the street corner and every day they went to the market, they got to him and had to walk around him. Or maybe there were some days they were in a hurry and they had to step over this man. Scripture doesn't say they were friends, but yet they were living in the same community. Every time I go to Costco, there's a gentleman on the corner with his cardboard sign. And I do my very best not to make eye contact. Been there before with me on this one? Maybe that was a scenario of this one. But for whatever reason, on this particular day that Jesus was in the house, he was teaching and he was healing, these four men stepped up and they became difference makers. Rather than walking around him or stepping over him, on this particular day, they became aware of the needs of this man. He had never walked a day in his life. He spent every single day holding out his hand for some kind of handout so he could eat dinner that night. And on this particular day, these four men didn't step around him, didn't step over him, but they saw him like God sees him. They became difference makers because the first characteristic they became aware and they adjusted their life. Instead of stepping over and hurrying, hoping to get a spot inside the house, they took time, they slowed down, they figured out a plan to pick him up. They adjusted their life and they took action and they brought him to see Jesus. They became difference makers. And the Bible says they got him to the house. And from the description, they got to the back door and realized they couldn't get in. They might have looked in the window going, we can't slip in here either. Might have walked around to another door, can't get in here. But these men, because they were determined to become difference makers, they weren't like, well, we'll try next time. Maybe Jesus tour, he'll come back around here in a couple of weeks and we'll try to get him in front of Jesus then. Hey, dude, can we get you back to where you always go and hold out your hand and get some money? No, they said, no, no, we're going to be intuitive. We're going to show initiative. And the Bible says that they picked him up and they took him to the roof of the house because the Bible lets us know that they lowered him down in front of Jesus. 
Now, to really grab hold of this, you've got to visualize it. Imagine Jesus is right here teaching. The house is full. There's, no, there's just barely standing room. And everybody's captivated by the words and actions of Jesus. And they are looking right there and hearing and listening and watching everything Jesus did. And all of a sudden, something comes kind of specks come falling down from the roof. Because the roofs of the house back then, they were not like ours of shingles and wood. They'd have been made of th- mud and thatch. And so they would be more semi-permanent. They weren't just kind of thrown up there. But these men had to take the time to cut a hole in this flat roof and lower this guy down. So the minute they began cutting and sawing and tearing and pulling and ripping and lowering him down, it had to bring mud flecks. It had to bring some straw down. And so things just started floating down. So everybody's trying to focus on Jesus. But have you ever seen something caught your eye in a room and you look up there? Like you can't keep from it. And what happens when one person looks that way, someone else looks up that way, and then all of a sudden no one knows what they're looking at, but the whole room is now looking up. So it's creating this moment of tension within the room. Not like fighting tension, but it's kind of like the climax of the story. Jesus trying to teach, stuff is beginning to fall down more and more. The bigger the hole gets, it's falling down more and more. And pretty soon as the men get the whole hole cut in, the sunlight beams down in. And so everybody knows something's going out. So they're looking straight up. They don't have to look long because all of a sudden a man on a mat is being lowered down. Can you imagine being the homeowner at this point? Okay. Jesus, I wanted you to come by. I didn't know this was what was going to happen. Can you imagine being the four men on the roof going, we've got to get this dude to Jesus, but this is costing us something here. Somebody's going to want us to pay for this roof. I I thought about this, and I can't imagine four men have to get up a ladder to get on top of the roof. I can barely climb a roof by myself, much less with three other people carrying a a a paralyzed man. And so there is inconvenience taking place. These men are going, we're going to have to pay for something. There's inconvenience. There's a cost they know they got to pay. Here's why I bring that up. To be a difference maker, they had to count the cost. To be a difference maker, they knew it would be an inconvenience to them and to other people. But they knew to be a difference maker, it had to be circled around. Jesus had to be the center of it or they wouldn't be real difference makers. And so they're lowering him down and there he is. If you think the climax of the story is when they cut the hole in the roof... The man smack dab there. Can you imagine the audience, the the people in the house at this point? They're all leaning forward. The religious leader's probably going, okay, this is ridiculous. This is getting worse and worse, and they're just ball humbug over here. But everybody's leaning in because remember, the power of Jesus was upon him that day, as said in the beginning of Mark. And here is a man that if you're from Capernaum, you knew exactly who he was. May not call him your friend, but you knew his problem. And it was obvious when he's on this mat the needs that he had. And he's lowered down there right in front of Jesus. And I'm sure the men, the four men on top of the roof were all looking down seeing what's going to happen. There's still a few people looking up going, who are the crazy people doing this right now? But then their eyes went to Jesus, their eyes went to the man on the mat, and everybody's standing there. It interrupted what was going on. Does that word sound familiar? We talked about it last week, didn't it? If we're going to be difference makers, we must be willing for our agendas and our schedules and our lives to be interrupted to be difference makers. There's an interruption going on. And so everybody's watching. 
everybody's waiting to see what may take, may take place. The man on the mat, the stage is set. Jesus is right there. And so probably everybody's expecting Jesus to say, stand up and walk. Look what happens. Jesus doesn't say stand up and walk. Jesus says in verse 20, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. If you've been in church very long, you kind of like puff your chest up and smile going, wow, that's a great story. Like here's a man that Jesus himself looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. What a great point. What a great climax of the story. Unless you're the man. I don't suppose that he ever thought he was going there to get his sins forgiven. He had never walked a day of his life. He was paralyzed. And so when these four guys picked him up and dropped him, he had probably heard the word on the street who Jesus is. And he's thinking, this is my opportunity. And he's going lower down and he's ready to hear those words, get up and walk. But he hears the words, your sins are forgiven. So it sounds like a great story for a sermon. It sounds like a great story for a Sunday school lesson. But if you're the man on the mat, you're going, really? Like, not a bad deal to get, because here's the deal. The man knew his problem, and his problem that his legs were broken. At this point in his life, he probably didn't realize his real problem was a heart was broken, was a spiritual brokenness, was a separation from God. He's just looking to get his legs healed. But the great news about this story, this is a great moment. Because Jesus understood that he had a need greater than walking. This man had a need greater than jumping up and doing the jig and having a dance right there in the room. His need was because of sin, he was separated from a relationship with God. Jesus knew that he could heal the man's legs. And let's say the man lived another 30 years and danced and walked and, and jogged and did all the things with two good legs that he'd never done before. But after 30 years, he died. And if his spiritual problem, if his spiritual brokenness was never fixed, he would simply die and no longer have eternal life with God in heaven. So God or Jesus knew at that moment that he had a problem bigger and more important than simply legs that don't work. He knew the man needed his sins forgiven. Can we pause there for a second and take that story and put it aside? And can we pick up our story? Because the reason we get scripture, the reason God gave us the Bible is not just so we can learn history, is so we can learn God's story in us. And I imagine a room with 150 people in it right now, we have lots of needs. There's physical needs. There are people in here that need healing. There are people in here that need healing because life is just uncomfortable. There's people in here that needs healing because if they don't get healing, they're going to die physically. There's financial problems in here. There's relationship problems with children and spouses and sisters and brothers. There's all kinds of relationship problems that people have in here. There's emotional brokenness in here. So there's all kinds of th needs that people come in here needing to be fixed. Needing to take the broken to become unbroken. But the greatest need that you and I have in our lives right now is our spiritual need. Because the Bible says this, when we have sin in our lives, God wants a relationship with us. But when we have sin in our lives, it breaks the relationship. It breaks the fellowship that we have with God. You see, God is holy. 
God is perfect. Everything about God is good. And his relationship was designed in the very beginning, going back to the beginning of the earth, was that he was totally perfect and he would actually made us sinless. And because he's sinless and we were sinless in the beginning of time, that allowed us to be on the same page to have that relationship. But Adam and Eve way back then, but let's not even blame it on Adam and Eve. Keith, you, everyone else, we chose our way over God's way. We said, what I want to do, God, is more important than what you want me to do. And so we've chosen to be in charge. And the Bible says when we choose our way over God's way, that's what he calls sin. Sin could be lying. Sin could be cheating. Sin could be killing. Sin, sin could be robbing. You name it. There's not a, a quantifier in here that it's all kinds of sins, but it doesn't matter what it is. The Bible says this, that when we sin, regardless of what it is, that sin breaks our fellowship, breaks our relationship with God. We go from unbroken to now broken. That's the condition the man found himself in. And that's the condition that the Bible describes you and I because we're sinners. Relationship, non-relationship. And so Jesus looked at the man that day and he wanted to bring him back in relationship with his heavenly father. He wanted to bring him back in relationship with God. And so rather than choosing the secondary problem, let me fix your legs. He said, let me fix your primary problem, your sin problem. And he said, your sins are forgiven. Let me describe what happened spiritually with that man at that moment. Spiritually, he was apart from God. But the minute his sins were forgiven, he came back to God because the sin is what separates us from God. I've had persons tell me before, you know what? God is so judgmental, isn't he? I mean, really, who is he to say, oh, you can't be close to me because you've lied, or you can't do this because you can't be close to me because you've done this? Who is God to say that he's judge? Who is God to say that he's jury? God is just simply so judgmental. I would argue that, that, that thought. Here's why. Because when Jesus looked at that man, there was not a judgment in him. There was simply love. When Jesus looked at this man knowing that he had chosen at some point in his life to make a choice his own way other than God's way, Jesus didn't look at him going, dude, you're dumb. Why'd you do that? Why don't you see if you can take a few steps? Well, you can't take steps, so just kind of inch back to God. Can you make yourself a little bit better, and then I'll go talk to God and see if God might want to have a relationship with you? Jesus didn't do that. Jesus took all the steps towards him, and he said, your sins are forgiven. It was at that moment that the man was, went from spiritually broken to spiritually unbroken. Now, if you're an English teacher in here, I realize that's not the best grammar. But unbroken is the best visualization. If I'm broken, the opposite is unbroken in there. He brings him back together. So look what happens next. You think everybody, especially religious leaders, would be jumping up now going, this is awesome, this is awesome. Verse 21 but the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law said to themselves, who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. So you got these religious leaders. They're standing over here going, really? Their arms still crossed going, really? 
if, if Jesus can forgive sins, only God can forgive sins, so Jesus must think he's God, and that's what we call blasphemy. And that's like the unpardonable sin in their mind, like you cannot blaspheme against God. Who does he think he is? Can I bring out a clarification here? Determining who Jesus was at this moment was not up for vote. Determining that Jesus was or was not the Son of God was not even an option that was put up in the, in the, in the arena for the religious leaders. Jesus is the Son of God then, and he is the Son of God, the Savior now, period. It is not opinion. It is not a vote. It is not group consensus. It is simply a fact. Jesus is the Son of God. What was going on right here of these arm-crossed religious leaders, skeptical, was not them determining who Jesus was. It was them determining who they believed in. Watch this. They trusted and believed more in their religion than they did God himself. Their religion, their traditions... And the way they like things, even we might say their preferences became more important in their eyes than Jesus being the Savior. And Jesus was just making a declaration. Saying, you can cross your arms all you want to. You can deny who I am. It doesn't change who I am. He can forgive sins. So Jesus looked at this man and said, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees questioned who Jesus was. And in verse 22... Jesus knew that they what Jesus knew what they were thinking. Jesus not only knows hearts, he can read minds. So he's standing in the crowd, and the crowd is all going just eyes wide open, probably mouth being dropped, trying to watch. Now that went from the, the, the healing of this man or the spiritual healing of this man to this conflict between Jesus and the disciple, or Jesus and the religious leaders. And he knew what they were thinking. And so he asked them this question. Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's just Jesus' way of saying, I'll prove to you that I'm the Son of God. I'll prove to you that I'm more than just some man doing miracles. I will prove to you that I'm the Savior sent to save the world. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man And he said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the Bible says this in verse 25. And immediately as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and he went home praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen the amazing things today. So Jesus kind of puts everybody in their place. He meets the man's physical needs, but more than that, he met his spiritual needs. And the Bible says the man jumped up. It says he, he stood up. I kind of, in Keith's kind of picture, he did, a, he did a jig, okay? I don't know if he did the moonwalk, or I don't know if he did the, 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 any other uh, dance move, but he got up because he had never walked in his life. And it says this, all the people around him praised God. All the people around him saw what was going on. Remember, it's a town of 1,500, more than just the house. I'm sure when the people that never made it inside the house saw the man that had been lowered on a mat walking when he got outside, they're going, oh my gosh, Jesus is real. Now, there's an interesting verse that we kind of pass real quick. Let me take you back to it. 
I think it's verse 20. When Jesus looked at the man to heal him, of his, to forgive his sins, what did it say? Because of the faith of the men. Wait, hold on a second. Time out. A person's relationship with God is completely 100% dependent on that individual responding to Jesus on their own. When my kids were young, I prayed every day for them to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior and pray and trust him with their life, to ask him to forgive their sins. I couldn't make that happen. I have dear friends that I love with all my heart, and I want them to turn to God. I can't make that happen. It's dependent on that person, right? Are you all with me? But the scripture says, when he saw the faith of the men, he looked at the man and said, your sins are forgiven. So how does the faith of the men and his sins being forgiven, how do we correlate those together? Simple. If the men rewind the story, rewind the story before they ever got to the house, and they're walking to the house to go see Jesus, and they see the man, the paralyzed man on the mat, and they decided just to walk around him, and not bring him was the man ever before Jesus. Are you with me? This means I get you. This means I don't get you. This means, dude, I'm just confused. Can you try this again? It was their faith. Let's put it in some colloquialism that we're using now. It was because they stepped out on faith to become difference makers. They didn't get the man's sins forgiven, but they got him to Jesus so his sins could be forgiven on his own way. Are you with me? That's the reason this difference maker is so important. If you and I are so busy with our agendas and our schedules and our lives that we're not aware and we don't adjust and we don't act, then we will pass up people every single day, neighbors, friends, family, people that we have the tendency to step over, walk around, and not even become aware of, and we will miss the opportunity that Jesus has for us to be a difference maker, that their sins can be forgiven as well. Do the people around us have physical needs? Absolutely. And God may use us just like we took up all the collection of food and the coach. God used us to meet physical needs. But if we keep an individual warm on the streets during the winter, but they never know Jesus, how warm did we really keep them? If we're nice to our neighbor and we pick up their mail when they're out of town, but we never introduce them to Jesus, really how good of a neighbor are we really? So God is calling us. He's not just calling us. He's urging. He may be kicking some of us to be difference makers, just like the four men. That those around us may know his son Jesus and the forgiveness of sins. You know, I want to leave you with two questions. If you're taking notes, there's two questions at the bottom. They're what I call takeaway questions today. And here they are. First one is this. Are you a difference maker? Are you aware? Are you adjusting? And are you acting? Are you a difference maker? I know for a fact that the man who used to not could walk because he was paralyzed is very thankful the four men chose to be difference makers. But watch how the domino effect works. They were difference makers in his life. They helped bring him there. He now has spiritual life and he can actually physically walk. And he went home and doing the jig and dancing and walking and talking. And the rest of the community and the rest of the city saw that. So guess who they were also difference makers to? To the community. It's the domino effect. 
And they told two people, and they told two people, and they told two people. So are you a difference maker? Again, we're doing the series Difference Maker. If you're not liking it, congratulations. Come next week, and that's the last week. (laughs) But we're going to talk about being difference makers all throughout this year. And one of the best ways that you and I can be difference makers, or one of the easiest steps, maybe I should say, of being difference makers, you're like, I'm not sure I'm ready to go cut a hole in somebody's roof. I'm not sure I can count the cost of that. I'm just not there, Keith. Great. Then as you leave today, just pick up one of the invite cards, stick two or three in your purse, your pocket, and simply just invite people to South Sub Church. We're going to talk about the saving grace and forgiveness of Jesus every single week. So that's just an easy step if you're not ready to cut holes in roofs yet. But are you a difference maker? Here's the second question for you. Takeaway question. We'll wrap up today. Has a difference been made in your life you see you can't be a difference maker and introduce people to the way and who Jesus is until you know Jesus yourself when the paralyzed man was lowered in if you'd ask him this question has a difference been made in your life he would have to say absolutely not because he was still separated from God because of his sin But he was lowered in and Jesus looked at him and said, your sins are forgiven. And it's at that moment that he became from separated to unseparated. And you may be here today and you're going, Keith, I have the knowledge of Jesus. I know the stories. In fact, this story, I've heard it a hundred times. I know this story. There's a difference between head knowledge and heart knowledge. There's an old saying I heard many years ago said the distance between heaven and hell is six inches. Six inches from your head to your heart. There's a lot of smart people. There's a lot of religious people. Remember the arm crossed people up here trying to say, okay, let me, let me judge and jury and my preference what's going on. Jesus never looked at them at that moment and said, your sins are forgiven because their hearts were hardened. More than hardened, their hearts were focused on themselves. So maybe you're here today, and God brought you here. He set up this whole service today simply for you to say the prayer of salvation. Not special words, not a special formula, but to simply say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I am broken spiritually. Would you forgive my sins like you did the man in the story? And the Bible says this, that when you pray that prayer, Jesus, would you forgive my sins? Just like that. Jesus is not going, well, you know what? I, I, I want to see how much better you do on Monday before I really forgive your sins. No. What did the man do for it? Nothing. Jesus did all the work. He did all the effort. He did everything. Your sins are forgiven. And the Bible says when you pray that prayer, Jesus, would you forgive my sins? You go from spiritually broken to spiritually unbroken a relationship with the heavenly father is restored are you perfect moving forward no do you have it all together moving forward no do you have to know everything moving forward no you simply have the relationship and God will begin to grow you and show you things in your life that you've never seen before Jesus would you forgive my sins and here's the second part of it And Jesus, would you be my boss? That just means take over. If you read the Bible, it says Lord. It means boss. 
It just meant, you know why I'm a sinner? Because you had your way of doing things, God, but I chose my way over you. When we say, Jesus, you're my boss, you're my Lord, we're going, I'm going to start doing things your way, God. Put you in control of my life. And so I want to close today. We'll take communion here in a second, but would you just bow your head where you are? Just close your eyes. Kind of a you and God moment. And the first question I have is the take-home questions, the takeaway questions. Are you a difference maker? Maybe you prayed and asked Jesus in your heart years ago. And you can get, we, it's so easy to get caught up in the comfort of our religion that we forget the passion that Jesus wants us to live out. And then here's my second question. Has a difference been made in you? Have you ever prayed to say, Jesus, forgive my sins and be my boss? If you've never done that before, you can do that right now. Right there where you are, you could pray something like this. Jesus, I'm a sinner. I chose my way over your way. And I'm sorry. Would you forgive my sins and be my boss? And if you pray a prayer like that, the Bible says just like the man in our story, your relationship goes from broken to unbroken. And today is the day of your salvation. So, Father, we come before you now, and I'm glad that it doesn't matter who we are, you receive us into this room. I'm glad, Jesus, that you're not making us prove ourselves before we even come close to you, that, Jesus, you're the one really taking steps to us. And so I pray right now for anyone in this room that has never taken a step towards you, that as you take a step towards them, they've never asked you to forgive their sins, I pray today is that day that they will be restored in relationship with you. God, thank you for offering your grace and your forgiveness for all of us. And as you offer that to us, may we be difference makers. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.